This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. It's eight minutes after five o'clock on this Saturday morning in April. I don't know where this year is going, but it's going quickly. I guess maybe because we have a lot to think about. It's kind of interesting because I do my broadcast from my home in Huntley, Illinois. That's where my studio and equipment uh, are located. And uh, I have in front of me a laptop with a screen that contains news and headlines from around the world with uh, the Reuters folks. And uh, as I look back on this career of talking agriculture for, well, I'll say six decades here on WGN Radio, it's interesting the uh, knowledge that we can acquire very quickly by using the technology that we have. But this Reuters screen does contain some interesting headlines. As I was looking this morning, I noticed that uh, from Australia, the headline that a shark nudges a Perth, Australia man fishing from his kayak. That's news over in Perth, Australia. Not so much here, but it's news over there. And uh, listening to uh, Matt talk about uh, raccoons in the attic and things like that, I had that happen to me, a raccoon in the attic that caused a flood in my basement decades ago in Northbrook, Illinois, because the uh, raccoons in the attic uh, chewed up the insulation and moved it away from some water pipes. They froze and uh, they broke and dropped water in my basement from a raccoon in the attic. So, yeah, there are some interesting things besides coronavirus, but that certainly is the headline this morning, as it has been for a long time. I'm looking at this Reuters screen that talks about the count of coronavirus or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, uh, the uh, spread of it, and the number of cases that are reported in various countries during the day. And I note that the United Kingdom could relax some coronavirus lockdown rules in a week, according to uh, a top specialist in the UK. And uh, so many things that uh, we're looking at, but the focus is on coronavirus, and it's kind of interesting. It uh, has taught me one lesson be careful what you wish for. Because a year ago, uh, I said several times I could hardly wait for the day when I could do an agricultural report or a market report without mentioning the trade war between China and the United States. And I said several times it would be so nice to be able to talk about something else besides the U.S.-China trade situation and the impact on markets around the world. So I got my wish. Now all we talk about is coronavirus, and I think I'd rather be talking 
about the uh, market situation and China-U.S. trade agreement or non-trade agreement rather than COVID-19 or coronavirus. But we have no control over that. But it again taught me, be careful what you wish for because you may get something you don't want. And we certainly have that now. But it's nice to have you along with us on WGN Radio because as I listen uh, throughout the day and hear the phone calls and where they come from, uh, it's an interesting but frustrating time. For a lot of people, so I'm pretty well hunkered down at my studio in North uh, or in uh, Huntley, Illinois, and uh, I'm joined by a lot of other people who are doing the same. But I'll say this: it was so nice yesterday. I did get outside to sit and get a little sunshine on the back patio at my house. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, be careful, follow the rules, and uh, avoid the situation that is plaguing the world this morning. We're at uh, 12 minutes after 5 o'clock. April is National Lawn Care Month, and you probably never realized how valuable that lawn is for a lot of reasons. So we're going to talk with Jim Fazell. Jim is our specialist in ornamental horticulture, and he'll share some ideas with you on taking care of your lawn during National Lawn Care Month. So we'll get to our visit with Jim when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Just like that, we're into the month of April, and I didn't realize that April is a very special month for a lot of people, but we'll find out all about it as we say good morning to Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture. Good morning, Jim. Well, good morning, Orion. Yes, spring is here, and uh, April, it's hard to believe it got here so fast, but I'm glad it did. We like spring. Yes. And, you know, there, there's a lot, of, um, a lot of stuff starting to bloom already. I think it's early. Uh, but we've had quite a bit of rain, too. You know, last weekend, a week ago, we had over two inches of rain in our rain gauges. Soils are wet. Uh, you know, we drive around in this area and walk around in this area, but we were over by the Des Plaines River in the middle of the week. It was over the banks and out into the Methodist campgrounds, and uh, that's hard to believe that we had that much moisture because a lot of areas got practically none. Anyway, that's April. You know, <laughs> And what else is April? April is a special month. Yes, it is. It's National Lawn Care Month. You know, I need to talk a little bit about uh, how how lawns are important uh, in our horticulture uh, endeavors. Uh, first of all, it's number one gardening project. Practically everybody has some lawn, even if they don't have a vegetable or flower garden. And there are 25 million acres of lawns throughout the United States. These are home lawns and some on industrial sites and so forth. <clears throat> Excuse me, but there are over 100 million home lawns in the United States. That's 100 million people that go out every Saturday and cut their grass or have it cut. <laughs> over 20 million homes used professional lawn care services last year. Those are people that come out and, and spray your lawn or mow your grass for you. That's uh, that's a sizable number of people that are using that kind of service. And the estimated annual expenditure for lawns is is in excess of $25 billion a year. That's a big industry. That's bigger than a lot of uh, agriculture indust- other agriculture industries, so we can't just, just say it's, it's really nothing. It is uh, a major part of our agricultural income here in the United States. 
Well, what do we get for all that time and money we spend? Well, a well-maintained lawn gives you about 10 to 15% increased value in your property. If people go up to buy a house and they look in the lawn as well, look at the lawn and it's well-maintained, nicely mowed and edged, uh, that adds uh, to the value of the property because people are going to walk by some that are full of weeds, and yet they look at this one that has a nice lawn, they say, well, gee, maybe we'd like to live in that place. It provides an attractive setting for the home. If the lawn is nicely edged and nicely uh, designed with flowers around it or shrubs around it, it provides an attractive setting. It sets the home off so it looks good. And it provides an attractive surface for outdoor activities. Those of us who play uh, or have played football or work with athletic fields, those of us who have kids in the backyard and so forth, we know that if it's if it's nicely uh, uh, sodded, if it has good grass on it, the kids are not going to come in with as much mud on their feet. It's going to be a lot more comfortable to play on, and uh, it, it provides you a place where you can have these outdoor activities without ha- having to worry about getting into the muck. 625 square feet of lawn provides enough oxygen for one person for a whole day. So if you have a 625 square foot, that's 25 feet by 25 feet out in front of your house, uh, you can believe that the oxygen coming off of that will provide for you, not maybe for the rest of the family, but your neighbors have grass too. And, of course, nature provides a lot of carbon of uh, oxygen when it breaks down the carbon dioxide. Eight average front lawns have the cooling effect of a 70-ton air conditioner. That's a lot of cooling. If you walk through an area where the grass is, there is no grass, for instance, in a new part of uh, town where they're building houses and the grass hasn't been put in yet, you can tell the heat coming off that ground is something. Whereas if there was grass on there, it would be a lot nicer to, to walk around and, and you wouldn't have all that heat. Same as, same as what we do when we drive into the forest preserve. We find out that plants reduce the temperatures for us really nicely. Lawns catch the carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide, too, from the air, and they convert them through photosynthesis and some other processes into the oxygen. That's where we get this this uh, oxygen for one person off of a lawn. And lawns trap lots of dirt and dust that would otherwise get into the atmosphere. Uh, that's a real benefit. And if you've been out in the country where there's no crops, not in the ground yet, and it becomes dry and the wind begins to blow, you realize how much dust we can really get into the atmosphere. Well, the same thing happens on a small scale on a home lawn if you don't have soil out there or grass out there to hold the soil in place. And lawns trap rainwater. They prevent runoff. They prevent erosion. And they filter contaminants from the rainwater. In fact, if the rainwater has contaminants in it and the grass keeps it from running off, there are organisms in the soil, bacteria, that will actually decontaminate or break down these contaminants into carbon, maybe a few other things, but they're no longer the contaminants. They're just naturally occurring things. Well, what do we need to do in our lawns right now? That's what value they are. One of the things we need to think about right now is fertilizing the lawn. If you did not fertilize last fall, you probably need to put some fertilizer on now. If you look out on your lawn and most of it's a little bit brown, but you have some dark green spots that are growing vigorously, uh, those are dog spots from female dogs mostly uh, urinating on the lawn. But uh, that shows you what the grass could be doing if it had enough nitrogen fertilizer. So if you have a lot of that showing up, you probably need to get out get some fertilizer and put it on your lawn. Crabgrass preventer, a lot of the fertilizer materials have crabgrass preventer in them. This is a little bit early to do that. We usually wait till the forsythia is in bloom. One thing I want to, want to caution, if you're going to do some reseeding, 
or if you're doing some repairs, putting down seed, you need not to use any of these that have crabgrass preventer in it. The fertilizers with crabgrass preventer will prevent the seeds from your grasses growing, growing as well. So you need to be careful about that. Uh, I know that there are a lot of people advertising the uh, grub-proofing materials right now. It's a bit early for that. In fact, you really don't need to put that on until about the 4th of July because the grubs are big. They're not eating very much. They're getting ready to, to uh, mature and, and pupate and become out as, come out as June bugs. But you need to, to um, uh, kind of keep track of how many you get. And if you see a lot of, of these little June bugs or even Japanese beetles, you need to be prepared to put down grub preventer, again, about the 4th of July. Another thing we need to look at right now is pruning some of our shrubs. Uh, the deciduous shrubs, a lot of them were broken down by some of the snow, heavy snow that we had early in the season. So you can take out this broken and dead stuff, uh, but you do not want to overly trim spring flowering shrubs right now because the flower buds are out there. If you trim them at this time of year, you're going to cut the flower buds off, and you're not going to have flowers on your lilacs or your viburnums. Uh, you need to, to wait until the flowers dry up, then you can trim those. Now, with evergreens, there are a lot of them that have some bread, uh, brown areas in them, that, but this may not be dead. These brown areas may be just the leaves that are dead, but the stem underneath it and the buds at the tip of those branches are still alive. So you need to wait until the new growth starts before you do any of the cutting out there. If you have a branch that's broken, of course, you want to take that off. But wait until new growth starts to see where it's going to start, and you might find that some of these little brown twigs where the leaves are all brown are going to be nice and green at the tip, and that's what you want. So you don't need to cut that stuff off until you're sure what's alive and what is not. A couple other things, uh, it's, it's not too late to... Uh, to um, uh, order seeds for vegetables and flowers if you're going to start them indoors. In fact, you can plant things outdoors right now, like onion sets, rhubarb, asparagus. And if you have seeds already, some things that you can seed directly in the garden are spinach and chives, dill, radishes, and so forth. And, of course, on, indoors under lights, we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, you can seed broccoli, tomatoes, and peppers. And one thing I like to do is get a little bit of color outdoors. If you haven't, haven't uh, a lot of spring flowers that are beginning to bloom, uh, plant a few pansies out there, maybe just as a welcome next to the door frame and uh, uh, entry walk. And uh, that's a little color for people that are walking by your house and a little color for you to enjoy when you get out into this wonderful spring that we're having. Um, it's time for us to enjoy the spring, uh, even though uh, there's a limit on us being able to get out. Uh, do get out and enjoy it. Do your walking in the morning. Maintain your distances, but enjoy spring. It's here. I have one question before we say goodbye, because uh, one listener called in to say, Jim talks about going walking in our neighborhood, but he never says where his neighborhood is. Well, we happen to live in Park Ridge. Okay. And uh, there's a lot of space out there. Sidewalks are good. We can walk practically any direction that we want to and walk around the whole town. Uh, of course, we're walking distance from uptown as well, so uh, there are plenty of places for us to go. And there are a lot of more and more people out walking in the mornings now than what we've seen in the past. A lot of people are home instead of going to work. They're working at home or stuck at home, but they get out in the morning and they 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 put in some miles, which is good. You get a little fresh air, you breathe some of the fresh air, you see some other people, you can say good morning and smile and and. 
it gives you a good start on the day. It, it breaks up this monotonous of just being at home. <laughs> okay. Well, that answers that question. We'll have more questions for you next week. So next week here on the Saturday Morning Show, we'll look forward again to talking to Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture. We're at 26 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. So far, not getting uh, any raindrops in Huntley, Illinois. But uh, before the day is over, we probably will see some rain to uh, kind of improve those lawns that Jim was talking about. There is a lot of discussion on who gets the financial aid that has been deemed by Congress to be necessary to save industries. Agriculture is certainly one of them. And yesterday, the American Farm Bureau Federation sent a letter to Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue stating that farmers need immediate financial help as the coronavirus continues to roil the nation's food supply chain. And so the Farm Bureau is urging the Department of Agriculture to make special direct payments to dairy and cotton producers, to livestock farmers and cattle ranchers, among others. In a letter sent to the USDA yesterday, the trade group also asked for emergency funding for ethanol plants, as well as the corn growers who could no longer sell their crops to them, and the livestock producers who no longer have access to the uh, byproducts of the ethanol industry. Farm Bureau asked that all sectors of U.S. agriculture benefit from the stimulus bill passed in March, which added about $14 billion to the USDA's Commodity Credit Corporation Spending Authority and authorized an additional $9.5 billion to help livestock producers, dairy farms, specialty crop farmers, and local agricultural groups. One of the things that didn't come to my mind in this situation the dairy industry that has been hit so hard for the last couple of years because of low prices, the dairy industry has lost an important market. I never knew this, but the National School Lunch Program is responsible for more consumption of milk, and with schools closed, that market is gone for dairy farmers. And so that's just one of the impacts. I'll talk about more of them on Samuelson Says. But the six-page letter from the Farm Bureau to the Department of Agriculture outlined the group's views on how it hoped USDA would dole out these stimulus funds, noted certain sectors of agriculture, and the particularly hard hit, including dairy farmers and specialty crop producers, such as vegetable and fruit farms. The Farm Bureau also asked that USDA immediately make purchases of dairy products, including, but not limited to fluid milk, butter, cheeses, and dry milk powders to help offset the loss of food service and school meat programs. 
And, of course, the mass closure of restaurants and schools due to the social distancing efforts to combat the spread of the the pandemic have forced a shift from wholesale food service markets to retail grocery stores, creating logistical and packaging nightmares for plants processing milk, butter, and cheese. As a result, a growing number of dairy farmers, and uh, this was happening in Wisconsin uh, this past week, a growing number of dairy farmers are being told by their cooperatives to dump their milk. And uh, I heard from several people in Wisconsin saying, what's going on? Why should they be dumping milk? But they are because... A good part of the market is gone. So we'll talk more about that. We're at the 5.30 mark here on the Saturday morning show. And I'll share some more thoughts on the impact of the pandemic on agriculture, regardless of the crop or the product being produced on farms across the country. All of that coming up on Chicago's very own 720 WGN Chicago. At 27 minutes before 6 o'clock, we say welcome to the Saturday Morning Show on WGN Radio Chicago. I was talking earlier about the sources of news that I have available to uh, check uh, various headlines from around the world. And uh, let me share one more China story with you this morning that uh, is on my Reuters screen. China's meat imports surged during the first two months of the year to cope with the rising domestic demand. According to official data from the Chinese government, meat imports the first two months of the year to China soared 69% year-on-year to 1.2 million tons during the first two months. Imports of pork and pork entrails skyrocketed 98% from a year earlier to 720,000 tons. And China approved 997 new meat companies from the start of the year to March 24th, including 450 pork processing companies. And uh, as I've said so many times, that they produce more hogs in China than any country in the world far ahead of the number of hogs that we produce here in the United States. So they are the largest producer of pork, and they're also the largest consumer of pork. And the domestic demand for pork, particularly strong during the first two months as the spring festival usually falls in that period. So that's one of the headlines. China's meat import surged 70% in the first two months, and U.S. pork and beef producers are hoping that uh, some of those meat imports will originate here in the United States. Now it's time to say welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and I want to talk a little bit this morning about the COVID uh, pandemic effect on agriculture. Everyone on the planet is affected by COVID-19 and food producers and the food delivery system. Essential industries are deeply affected on the production side as well as the marketing side. So let me share with you a couple of concerns 
that I hear just about every day by telephone or by email. First question, did I hear you say the 2020 World Pork Expo in June is canceled? Well, yes, you did. The expo is canceled for the second year in a row. This event that attracts 20,000 people from around the world to the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines was canceled in 2019 because of African swine fever, which was attacking hog production in various countries on the planet, and particularly China, the world's largest hog-producing country. That disease, which does not affect humans, killed half the hogs in China. And it's a disease we certainly didn't want to bring into this country. So the National Pork Producers Council decided to cancel the event last year. But this year, the world is struggling with COVID-19, which does kill people. So the National Pork Producers forced to cancel the expo again. They have scheduled the 2021 World Pork Expo for early June, again at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines, or so we hope. Then there is the struggling dairy industry, which has been challenged financially the past couple years. An email from a Wisconsin lady said she read a story in her paper that some dairy farmers were dumping milk, and she wanted to know why. One of the reasons is a decline in demand. I didn't know this, but the biggest consumer of fluid milk is the National School Lunch Program. And with school systems shut down, much of that market has disappeared. Yes, we can still make milk into cheese and pizza and ice cream, but from a fluid consumption standpoint, can't do much about that. Of course, farmers are always challenged by market prices and weather, and as we start this crop year, they're hoping we don't have a repeat of last year's flooded spring planting season. Oh, and finally, one thing I have learned be careful what you wish for. A year ago, I wished I could do a market report without mentioning the U.S.-China trade agreement. Well, I got my wish, but what I got in its place is really much worse. Thank you, agriculture and agribusiness people, for providing us with an abundance of good, affordable, healthy food. My thoughts on Samuelson Says which is a presentation of the Nexstar Media Group at 21 minutes before 6 o'clock. And uh, again, we can't talk markets at all because it all is focused on the coronavirus and its impact on the stock markets as well as the grain and the livestock markets for agricultural producers. And as I said earlier, a year, two years ago, I was wishing I could do a market report without having to mention the China-U.S. trade agreement. Got my wish, but uh, I'm not sure we're better off because of it. Okay, we're going to uh, take a look at what the uh, coronavirus did to our markets in agriculture and uh, we'll do that when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. For our weekend market segment this weekend, we switch over to Mike Pearson, who had as his guest Don Rose of U.S. Commodities. And Mike asked him... USDA out on Wednesday said we might have the potential for 97 million acres of corn. That number seemed to take the market by surprise. What are your thoughts here in the corn market? 
Yeah, you know, exactly, Mike. You know, there's no, uh, you know, the market was uh, braced for a big number, but that was bigger than we even thought. So, you know, a, a negative uh, spin to the market. Now, I think when you look at it, uh, we already on the old crop, we had some real issues with the ethanol uh, that was uh, backing off, you know, probably going to lose two and a half to 350 million bushels off of the ethanol demand. So, you know, we were hopeful that something would come positive out of the uh, acres numbers. But uh, when you're talking 97 million acres, Mike, that's just a big number. And it's uh, one that I don't think you're probably going to stick that number. I think when you look at the profitability and the changes that we've had, you're probably going to lose a million off of that, I would say, but probably not much more than that because there's an awful lot of uh, progress and uh, planning decisions have already been made. Gotcha. I was going to ask you, in your conversations with growers, do you think that $97 million is real? But you think 96 could definitely be in the cards for 2020. Well, you know, I tell you, Mike, it's one of those things for the producer. There's no place to run, no place to hide. There's, uh, you know, it's probably at the present time uh, more of a, uh, the best of the worst situation. But uh, we're seeing a switch on a little bit due to the fact that the uh, corn market is torpedoed versus the soybeans trying to hold together. Uh, that is one thing. And also the costs uh, have ratcheted up uh, on, uh, on the corn market. But, you know, there is a little bit of a positive, and that's the fact that fertilizer costs are down a bit, uh, fuel costs are down a little bit. But the seed and chemicals are, are staying the same, and the land values, the, uh, the that's set. The rents have been set. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of change on those acres. And, uh, uh, you know, it's a situation that you're probably down to weather someplace in the U.S. or the world to change those acres. And weather's probably going to be more important as we get into uh, the middle of April. Remember last year, we were on our heels this time of year. And then we got to change on weather. So, you know, keep your eye on the sky, you know, starting pretty quick. Now, how about with soybeans? Was that acreage number much of a shock there on the uh, on the bean perspective plantings? Well, you know, that report was, you know, you had something for everybody. Well, we had a positive uh, stocks number on corn. Feed usage was more than we thought. That probably meant that last year's corn crop was overstated. But on the soybeans, it was the uh, just the opposite. We had a, a negative stocks number, but the uh, acres numbers were a little bit positive. But you know, as the uh, stocks numbers uh, go, it probably meant the same thing, that probably last year's soybean crop was probably overstated, I would say somewhere 50, maybe even 100 million bushels. But as far as the acre number, it was a bit positive. But, uh, you know, you see estimates all over the board, uh, Mike. You know, we see uh, low figures on carryover ending stocks by analysts down to 250. We've seen some high ones still as high as 600 million. And a lot of it boils down to the demand side of the market. Are we going to see uh, exports pick up uh, or not? Uh, you know, that's a real question mark. It looks like with South America so far, we're just struggling uh, to compete. It looks like all the way through August, they're going to be the uh, choice for the world buyers, particularly China. Well, and a big part of that continues to be the strength in the U.S. dollar, despite a $2 trillion stimulus. Don, when is this dollar going to break, or do you think it will break anytime in the next six months and make our exports more competitive? Well, and that, that's an important factor, Mike. It's the big deal. It's the big elephant in the room. Uh, as you know, the uh, Real this week made a uh, new highs, so that meant our dollar, uh, their purchasing power went up. That meant their profitability went up. You know, it's unfortunate. They're still expanding acres, even now as we're struggling. Uh, Brazil is expanding acres on uh, on soybeans, uh, and so that's 
that's an issue going forward. I think it's going to continue to be an issue. The uh, dollar is the safe haven, Mike, around the world. Don, we were talking about the strength in the dollar. You were talking about some of the weakness that's happening in the real down in South America and what that might be doing to limit American grain exports. But we're also hearing rumors that they might close ports down in South America. Do you think that's going to be a reality? Well, it's the coronavirus again around the world that's an issue. But, you know, we've had rumors on that on both Brazil and Argentina from a worker standpoint. Uh, So far, that hasn't been the case. But, you know, I think what we're really talking about is, is the supply chain going to be reliable uh, from South America? And not only that, around the world as the coronavirus continues to spread. And remember, just in South America, it's really starting to pick up uh, momentum. So I think that's, uh, you know, you're looking for a bull card in these markets, something that is positive. Uh, China basically has been buying the soybeans from uh, from Brazil and Argentina meal. So it's a possibility. We don't see it so far, Mike. They've been doing a pretty good job on those uh, issues. All right. Well, Don, we've got to talk about the livestock markets, in particular, the cattle market. The volatility has been incredible. The difference between cash price and futures prices has been record high. Bring us up to speed. What is happening in the cattle market that now might be prompting a uh, congressional investigation? Well, you know, the big thing that we have in the cattle market is uh, the packer margins exploded to the upside. They hit a top of over $600 a head. They're now down to about 250 a head. You know, and really what happened was at, at the retail level, as we know, there was panic buying at the store level. Uh, and it was not only in, uh, in the, uh, the uh, wheat areas with the grain, and that's helped support the wheat, by the way, but it was in the meat uh, counter. So we had the, uh, uh, the beef market shot up uh, $51 a hundredweight in just short order and in a number of days, and then it stopped and did a push to the downside a number of days, and that's where we're at right now. So far this week, we've had an eight to $9 drop in the cash market and the futures market projecting uh, you know, some further drops similar to that going forward. But it was all about uh, the restocking ran us up, then uh, the fears that, uh-oh, we're already restocked. Now who's going to buy? Are the freezers full? When do they come back? And uh, fear also that some of these packing plants, if you get coronavirus, uh, you know, could close temporarily, that the weights could grow. So it's kind of you're throwing uh, everything at it. You know, markets, Mike, they run on fear and greed, really, is the dominant issue. And I would say we had the greed at times this year, this uh, last two weeks, and now we have the fear. All right. The fear is kind of running the table, as it seems right now in the cattle markets. Don, do you think that weakness is going to be continuing up until we get some sort of firm answer on this coronavirus uh, situation? Well, I think the big thing we have to do is the markets do not like unknowns, and we do not know the unknown on the, uh, the, the uh, demand side and uh, the restocking. So I think we're going to have to watch the retail level. Does meat move? I think even more than that, do you see a shift around from expensive beef to pork and poultry and fish? And do you even switch around on those meats to cheaper pasta and, uh, you know, other rice and some other type of things? So I don't think we know yet, Mike, but the market's definitely trying to vote that we've got two biggest supplies during April. We don't know how long this is going to go on. And we don't know what the consumer's going to do, but we know that he's uh, pinched. Uh, look at these unemployment numbers, and they really haven't got the stimulus money out to the uh, people here yet. So you've got a little bit of a void, but uh, keep your eye on the retail level. Keep your eye on the prices because, uh, you know, maybe we have to get to this level where you either sell it or smell it. In other words, you get down to a price 
where uh, the consumer looks at it and says, that's a bargain. All right. We'll have to see if that comes anytime soon. Don Rose from U.S. Commodities in Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us here on This Week in Agribusiness. We really appreciate your input. Thank you, Mike, and uh, have a good day. And we appreciate having Don on the broadcast this weekend. Thanks to Mike Pearson for handling the chores for us. We're at seven minutes before six o'clock news time here on WGN Radio, and it seems like just about anybody and everybody in our society today wanting to get some of the funding that the uh, Congress passed and the president signed. Uh, We talked about uh, the agricultural community, and there's a part of the agricultural community, the biofuel industry, that has asked the administration for funds from the Department of Agriculture's Commodity Credit Corporation to help it survive a demand slump that's triggered by the virus outbreak and the funds could be used to offset a portion of the industry's corn and soybean purchases or maybe as direct assistance to companies to help them retain staff. That according to the April 1st letter addressed to the Secretary of Agriculture. The letter, which was signed by representatives of the nation's top biofuel trade groups, including the Renewable Fuels Association, said that collapsing demand for fuel during the outbreak had idled some three and a half billion gallons of annualized production output by the industry. And the biofuels industry has been hit particularly hard by the sharp uh, decline in fuel demand across the country. So the letter to the secretary said the U.S. ethanol industry accounts for about 40% of U.S. corn demand, making it an important market for farmers. So another request going to the government to get some of the funds to help get through this challenging time. And let me respond to an email this week from a dairy farmer who said, I didn't get all the details on the Dean Foods operations, so let me repeat that. The Dairy Farmers of America, that's the DFA, has been named the winning bidder to acquire a significant portion of Dean Foods operations, that happening in a court-supervised sale process. The sale is part of bankrupt milk producer Dean Foods Chapter 11 bankruptcy process and subject to final approval by the bankruptcy court, the DFA, the Dairy Farmers of America, will acquire assets, rights, interests, and properties related to 44 Dean Foods fluid and frozen facilities, the price tag $433 million. According to the Dean Foods president, we ran a competitive auction process and are pleased to have reached these agreements, which we believe represent the best path forward for our stakeholders. Dean Foods has strong and long-standing relationships with DFA and with Prairie Farms Dairy, 
We are pleased that through these transactions, substantially all of our processing assets will continue to operate as dairies and will be owned by our dairy farmer partners with the resources, experience, and industry expertise to continue to succeed in the current market environment. And uh, finally, the final statement, we are committed to completing these transactions as quickly as possible and to ensuring a smooth transition for our customers. Prairie Farms Dairy also won the bid to buy Dean Foods' eight additional facilities and two distribution branches, as well as certain other assets for $75 million in cash. So that's the story on Dean Foods and the new owners, the DFA, the Dairy Farmers of America. So let's take a look at where we ended the week in our markets. The uh, wheat futures moved higher yesterday, bouncing after a four-day slide. And the corn extended a six-day drop with the May futures, hitting the lowest level for a most active contract since December since uh, September of 2016. Soybeans also weakened this week. But corn, as we said, has been pummeled by dried-up demand for ethanol as crude oil slid to multi-year lows this week on diminished travel because of the COVID-19. So uh, where did we end the week uh, yesterday on the uh, grain market? Wheat was higher. May wheat ended up nine and three quarter cents a bushel, but May corn ended down three cents a bushel at three thirty and three quarters, and May soybeans ended down five and a quarter cents a bushel at eight dollars fifty four and a quarter cents. And when we take a look at the livestock trade, that was hit particularly hard this week as hog futures hit a 17-and-a-half-year low and the cattle market went down as the virus situation continued to disrupt markets. Cattle futures dropped as wholesale beef and cash feedlot cattle prices plunged and uh, live cattle notched their steepest weekly percentage drop in nearly two years, while lean hog futures notched a 31% weekly decline, and that's the steepest on record going back more than 41 years. So that's the story. Let's hope that as we look forward to the first full week of April next week, and things will get better as far as those agricultural markets are concerned. Well, we do what we do every week at this time. We've run out of time for the Saturday morning show. My thanks to Bob Ferguson, the engineer who does all the work for me, and my thanks to you for joining us. We look forward to talking agriculture with you throughout the week and next week on the Saturday morning show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.